Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, and I hope you do, turn with me to the book of Titus. We're returning to our study of the book of Titus, and we're actually going to do something different today than what I originally planned. Uh, we're going to be in Titus 2, verses 1 to 8, and we were going to spend one week um, in this passage, but we're actually going to spend two, which means I'm going to pick on the men today, and then next week uh, we'll pick on the ladies. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. Father God, thank you for uh, just the men in this church. And, and Lord, the, the men in this church have some work to do today. We, we have a passage that's very important that we have to understand, that we have to wrestle with. So Lord, I, I pray for the men just even this second, that your spirit would be moving in their hearts and their minds, that, that he would be giving them an open heart to, to really hear your word this morning, that you would help these guys just eliminate distractions that they have and not be overwhelmed by this passage, but that they would be encouraged by this passage, that this passage would give them vision in areas where they maybe haven't had it in the past. Lord, just help them to be open to this today. Father, you do great things. You're in the business of doing great things. And that begins in our hearts. But that means we need your spirit to come today. We need him to, to fill this room. We need him to give us eyes to see. We need him to convict us of our sin, of give us faith where we lack, of encourage us where we're discouraged. So spirit, come and fill this room. Finally, Lord, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, that I'd simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, consumerism in the church, they make really strange bedfellows. You see, God hasn't designed the church to be like a, like a buffet or like an a la carte menu where you just kind of pick and choose what you want. God's intended the church, he's designed the church to be one of the means of grace in your life. One of these things that is in your life where God speaks and moves to, to where he sanctifies, to where he fuels your discipleship, where he calls you up to look increasingly like him. So if you, if you come to church with this kind of pick-and-choose, a la carte view of the church, you're going to miss out on the blessings that he has for you. And further, if you come with this a la carte approach to church, I promise you your discipleship is going to be stunted. His design of the church it doesn't allow us to say things like, I like this church's worship, but not the teaching, so I'm going to a la carte worship and just slip out uh, during the teaching, so I can, but I'll stay for the singing. His design for the church, it doesn't allow us to say something like, like I really like Sunday, I get something out of Sunday, but I don't really get a lot out of the, the, the relationships and in the small group, so I'll just kind of a la carte Sunday morning but not really invest in people's lives. You see, God has designed the church where we can't say something like, like I have a heart for those in need. And so I'm going to a la carte the service project, but only when it's kind of really done in the ways that I want it to be done. We have to be really careful not to bring a consumeristic a la carte mentality when it comes to the church because God has designed the church in specific ways to, to fuel your discipleship. 
And, and you need to be here to receive all of it, to get all the blessings of the Lord to that end. He's calling you to, to give yourself to his design. Further, a consumeristic, a la carte mentality. It, it's, a, it's really a heart problem. When people are there, it's, it's because they have this it's all about me attitude to the church. And hear me, it's really not all about you. It's actually all about the people around you. Like you're really here more for less for just yourself and more for the people around you. That's why you're here. Today we're in the, the fifth of ten messages to the book of Titus. And if you've been with us in the past, you've heard me say this is going to be nine messages. But, but we're stretching it to ten because I think there's, there's so much in this passage. This was becoming like an hour and a half sermon this week as I was preparing it. There's just too much in here, and I think it's too important. So we're going to break this passage into two parts. But we, we've, we've said over the past weeks, and if you're, if you're new with us, Really, the theme of Titus is found in the first four verses of chapter 1. So if you have the book of Titus open, if you'll glance at those first four verses, that gives us the theme of the book. And really, starting right there in that opening verse, it teaches us that we're to be devoted to good doctrine and good deeds. He says that leaders are to increase the knowledge of truth in verse 1 for God's people in a way that leads to godliness is the word that he used in verse 1. So, so what he's saying there is the church needs pastors and elders to teach so that people can, can grow spiritually and look increasingly like Jesus. So, so we've seen uh, another reason why this is so important is that all around us is false teachers and false teaching. We've seen previously that uh, Paul talk about that we have this kind of air that we breathe in, which is false teachers. There's always people around us that are teaching us untrue things. And many times we just kind of, we kind of breathe it in. But, but it produces, in verse 10, empty talkers. It produces people who are all about shameful game, verse 11. Lazy people, verse 12. People who have their minds and consciences defiled, verse 15. So, so we need shepherds to model the good life. We need shepherds who love what is good, verse 8, who are holy, verse 8. We need shepherds to teach us good doctrine that really has the end of good lives, lives that are marked by good deeds. But, but we all tend to focus on how church really can benefit us. Like we're polite, so we wouldn't say it that way. But, but we tend to slip into this mentality that, you know what, this is good for me, then I'll stick around in the ways that it's good for me, then I'll be in part of, a part of those things, but I'm going to kind of take this a la carte approach. I'm just going to pick and choose uh, what I want to be a part of. But listen, there's a danger in that. There's a danger if you take this kind of it's all about me mentality. It, it's going it's to stunt your growth, and you're not going to experience the good life that God promises for you. But, but if you take this, this attitude that really it's, it's all about them or it's all about other people, it, even though that goes against your fleshly desires, that's actually the pathway to the good life. Therefore, Titus 2, 1 to 8, this is really the key to the good life. It teaches us how to do it. It teaches us how to live in ways that are outside of ourselves, focused on other people. So it touches uh, on the right heart uh, that we're to have for God's church. First, Titus 2.1, it's going to return to the theme of the book. And then he's going to shift to these different categories of people for the rest of the chapter. He's going to talk about men, and then he's going to talk about women, and then he's going to talk about bond servants. And we're going to give a lot of space to, to that passage. 
But today we're just going to look at what it says to men, and then next week we'll pick on the ladies. So the first charge here is to be devoted to good doctrine and good deeds. So look at verse 1. Titus 2.1 says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, again, we briefly looked at Titus 2.1 last week, and this really is a return to the theme of the book. Just like it says up in the opening verses of the book that our focus is to be on sound doctrine, where Titus 2.1 says that elders and shepherds are to teach for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords to godliness. So he's linking two ideas there. You need to teach. You need to teach sound doctrine, good doctrine, but in a way that actually leads to godliness, to the good life. So like the shepherds of old, the shepherds today in the present church, they're to do the same thing. In this charge, it highlights the importance of good doctrine, but good doctrine begins with understanding good doctrine at a theoretical level. In other words, you you need to, if you're a pastor or you're an elder or if you're a leader in the church, if you're a small group leader, you're you're called to understand good doctrine, but at this theoretical level. You you need to know some of the theological jargon. You need to have a a developed theology. You you need to have positions on certain things. You you should know what the Bible teaches, even at a theoretical level. You, You need to have a robust, not just a simplistic view of the gospel. The gospel is simple, but the gospel is the most complex, beautiful thing that there ever was. It's both of those things. And a, and a developed theology understands both. You need to have this mature understanding of, of what is the church, what happens in the end times. We might disagree on some of that, but, but you ought to have a position on that. Pastors and elders should know what they believe. Um, one time we had a, a guy apply for a, a pastoral level position here at the church. And, and some of you have been on our, our search teams. And on those search teams, what the search team does is one of the things they do is they develop a questionnaire. These are the questions that they want to ask the different candidates. And so as, as guys apply, and we will do an initial interview with them, and then we'll send them this questionnaire. And, it, and it'll have questions about kind of who they are, their calling, their, their vision for ministry. But, but really the biggest section is, is we want to know their theology. Okay, what do you think about this? What's your position on this? And so it's all these different issues. And the question was something like, okay, what's your position on the end times? Now, now this guy shared a very bad dad pastor joke. What's your position on the end times? Here's what he writes. I'm a pan-millennialist. It'll pan out in the end. <laughs> we didn't hire that guy. Let me tell you why we didn't hire that guy, okay? Listen, if you're just rolling in here and and, and that's where you are, fine. This guy was applying to be a pastor in our church. What that revealed was is he had an underdeveloped theology. What that revealed was is he didn't take serious the things of God. And I think what it revealed was, was an immaturity. We didn't hire him. So we're hiring a student pastor right now, and if you're watching this, don't answer that question that way, okay? You just immediately get thrown off off the list. However, I think Titus, what he does here, and I think this is the real posture of the book, is that he gives this healthy balance between highlighting this link between sound doctrine, Titus 2.1, but of the kind which accords to godliness, Titus 1.1. So Developing your theology is not an end to itself. Does that make sense? Listen, knowing what you believe, it's meant to have a functional or practical end. 
In other words, our, our elder meetings, they shouldn't just be about theological discussions. That's a component of it. But, but our elder meetings should also be prayer meetings. They should be these discipleship strategy sessions. The, the book of Titus teaches us to link good doctrine with good deeds. Therefore, the importance of good doctrine, Titus 2.1, is to produce disciples who are devoted to the good life. Now listen, for some of you, this might be drawing your minds back to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.12 is a great vision for ministry. Ephesians 4.12 calls shepherds to equip the saints for works of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, teach sound doctrine so that you equip the saints for good works, to live this good life. It has a practical end. Do you see that? Elders, that's your job. Pastors, that's your job description. If you're a leader or, or maybe a, a shepherd of a, of a small group, th- this is why you, you have been put in those roles. If you're an, an attender of those groups or a member of our church, this is why God has given you leaders. Their role in your life is to explain good doctrine in order to help you live the good life. But more specifically, how do they do it? What does this practically look like? Now, now, where we go from verse 1 is Paul speaking into these different categories. So what he's going to do is, is give us the how. He's going to teach us, okay, how are we supposed to minister to these different groups of people in the church? So, so this is the practical part of, of how shepherds are to disciple God's people. What I want you to see today is that older men are to be to, devoted to the younger men. Let me read verses 2 all the way to verse 8. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And then he goes back to the men in verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The flow of this letter, again, is going from teach sound doctrine to then how to do it. But, but the structure of these seven verses, I think it's kind of strange. And let me do my, my best to kind of explain what I think is going on here. He, he's had this, this call to teach sound doctrine, and he's, out, he's outlined the problem in, in chapter 1, verses 10 to 16, which the problem is, is these false teachers are floating around. So there's this charge, teach sound doctrine. Well, that's what elders are supposed to do. So, so I think what's going on here is, is the train of thought is teach sound doctrine. Well, that's what elders are supposed to do. So then he starts talking about older men and, and what older men are supposed to look like. But in reality, really what's going on in this passage is, is he's trying to give this admonition to how to, to practically shepherd God's people. So he goes to old men, but then he starts talking about the ladies in the church. He talks about the, the older women and how they're supposed to relate to the younger women. But then he gets to that point, and he's reminded to go back to, okay, but wait a sec, what about the younger men? I talked about the older men, but what about the younger men? So, so he kind of sandwiches the men on both sides of this thought. I, I say all that to say that I think, it's, I think it's fine to break this passage into two parts, talking about the older men and then talking 
uh, about the ladies next week. The main lesson of the verse is this, is that church is not primarily about you. The church is primarily about those around you. That's the main message I think he's getting across in this passage. And our, our attitudes then can't be it's an all-about-me attitude. The right attitude to church is, is that it's all about them. Titus 2, 1 to 8 sets our focus on other people, not, not just primarily upon ourselves. So church can't be this commodity that you consume. It's supposed to be a body of real people that you sacrificially love. In other words, if you're an older man, you aren't supposed to come in here and critique everything. You're not supposed to come in here and have this kind of a la carte attitude of where, listen, you know, if you like the music, if you like the style, if you like the quality of it, then you stick around. Or have this a la carte attitude where like, okay, if I like the topic that the guy's preaching about or the passage that he's preaching around, then I'll stick around. But otherwise, I'm not going to stick around. Listen, brothers, you are to be here in order to be a model of a faithful disciple of Jesus who lives a countercultural life so that the young men can see you do that. Gray hairs, empty nester guys, that's why you're supposed to be here. Does that make sense? Now let's get more specific. He gives six virtues for older men. This is kind of his God's vision for that stage of your life. When you're an older man, this is what he wants you to look like. Look again at Titus 2.2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Now, guys, if you're looking at that and you say, man, that sounds very similar to the list of, of virtues that are the qualifications of elders, you're right. It's very similar. You see, these uh, six virtues, they should characterize a Christian man who's at kind of this empty nester stage of his life. And, and I, I want to just take these in turn, the, these six different virtues. Number one, he's to be sober-minded. This means that he's not to be silly or frivolous. Now, now I want to be careful with that term because what I, what I don't think it means, I don't think it is speaking to someone who's just, who's just personally funny. Like some people just have funny personalities. And I don't think it's talking about that. I think it's talking about someone who is, who is sober-minded or serious about their approach to life. Like, like you can joke around but be serious about your church life or be serious about your business and how you handle yourself there and be intentional with your family? Are you serious about what church you attend and why you attend it? Are you responsible in your work life? Are you intentionally shepherding your family? Are you a stable, mature man? Number two, and related, I think, older men are to be dignified, to be worthy of respect, now, again, I don't think this means that they're to be haughty. I don't think it means that they're supposed to be buttoned up. But, but I think it is, it's talking about, do, do other men respect your opinions? When you say something, do, do they perk up and listen to you? Younger men should look up to you. They should want to uh, look like you when they're at, at your stage of life. You should display maturity. You should be a man of responsibility. Do the younger men look up to you? Number three. Older men should display self-control. Guys, this means that there's a lot of things that you're not supposed to say or do or watch. There's a lot of things that your fleshly desires are going to want you to say and do and watch. 
He's calling you to be self-controlled in those moments. You see, we live in this age that, that celebrates pursuing fleshly desires. If it feels good, do it. If you have some sort of urge, man, that must be who I am as a person. The Bible teaches something very different. When you have those urges or those fleshly desires, it's calling you to be self-controlled in those moments. And older men, we need to see you modeling that for us. Older men should model denial of self, and they should do it for the benefit of their family, for their church, for their community. Do the younger brothers see you living an unselfish, sacrificial life? Number four, older men should be sound in faith. In other words, they should have this, this healthy relationship with God. Older men should know what they believe and and why they believe it. They should be comfortable in it. They should have done the work to to know what they believe, develop those biblical convictions, and then live comfortably in it, live consistently according to those convictions. And further, they should live according to those convictions, and I think this is really key, they should do it in ways that are healthy and mature. Like we all know there's young guys, when they get a hold of a certain doctrine, and people talk about they're at the cage fighting stage, where they just, they just slaughter everybody with what they believe. Like, that's not maturity. Older men are supposed to have those firm convictions, but they're supposed to do it in this way that is mature and healthy. Can the younger guys learn from you? Number five, they should be sound in love. Before it was about their relationship with God, this is about your relationship with others. And, and love begins on the inside. It begins with like a genuine desire for someone else's good. That's when you're loving them. But when you love somebody, you get excited when they succeed. When something goes well for them, it makes you happy. That's evidence of the fact that you love them. But if you really love somebody, it doesn't just stay on the inside, right? It goes to the outside. It goes to things you do for them, the things you say to them. Love moves outside by being warm and open to other people. In other words, love moves outside through words and things that you do for other people? Do the younger brothers know that you care for them? Number six, older men should be sound in steadfastness or perseverance. They should endure in these attributes. It shouldn't be you know, a, a fly-by-night experience for them. They should display this maturity in these healthy relationships with God and others for a long period of time. That's what we need from you, man. It should mark your life. Do the young men see consistency in your life? Let's come up for air here. Gray hairs, this is a high calling. Do you feel the burden of it? You should. But it really matters. If you feel the burden of it, know that it really matters. This is a high calling. But, but, it, but it matters, and it matters to the ones you love the most. So hear me, don't check out at this stage of your life. Like, don't just coast to the finish line. If God has you here, he has you here for a reason. Men, living this countercultural good life, it's how all institutions in your life that matter and that you care about, it's how all of them flourish. Like when men live this way, it's how their families and their businesses and their churches and their communities and even their country, it's how they remain healthy. You see, God's calling you to live a a countercultural, faithful, healthy life that's a firm foundation for the ones that are most important to you. And specifically, that type of countercultural discipleship, it gives vision to the young men in your life. That's why it matters. Young men are watching you. 
And it matters. Brothers, the way you live your life matters. Young men, that's the example that you're supposed to follow. If you're starting out as a young man, if you're thinking of men in this room and in this church that those verses describe, that's your vision for manhood. That's what it's supposed to look like. So God, through the Bible, he's calling you to follow those types of examples. Look again at verses 6, 7, and 8. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This list is very similar to the list for the older men. The the older men have uh, six virtues. This list has five. But really, it's all about living the good life. It's the same thing. The, The list is how God defines faithfulness. So if you're a young man and you want to know what God wants for you, those are your verses. That's how he wants you to live. And it's, it's countercultural. It's different. It looks different than your buddies. It looks different than your friends display at the bar. But listen, it's a life that glorifies God. And it's a life that has abundant meaningfulness. If you want a life that matters, young guys, that's your list. That's your guide. If you want to just play with your life, do something else. But if you want your life to matter, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. This type of life, it's a firm foundation for the ones that you love the most. And further, it's the path to joy. You see, the path to joy, young men, is through denial of the flesh, not satisfying the flesh. I know the world all around you says something different, but it's not true. You see, when you you look at this list of virtues, there's a lot of self-sacrifice, self-control, denial. But but living a life of eternal significance, it's about doing good deeds and, and serving others. You see, spiritual maturity, it comes through doing what is right, even when nobody knows it. You see, the good life is one that is responsible rather than popular. Being a faithful disciple of Jesus, it's about sacrificially loving others, loving them enough to where you choose edifying words instead of words that tear down. It's a life where you choose not to speak everything that pops in your mind. The good life is about living for others and not yourselves. In other words, brothers, your life matters. I pray every man in this room feels the burden of this passage. But know that it matters. Young guys, it matters if you sacrificially love your wife and if you're a good husband. It matters. Brothers, it matters if you shepherd your children and if you're a good father. Like it really matters if you add value and worth to your business. It matters if you leave a legacy in your community. Young men, if we have a bunch of young guys living Titus 2, 6 to 8, then God is going to use this church to do great things in this community. And that matters. It matters if this church is healthy. And the reason is, is because this community matters to Jesus. He died for this community. And so this church being healthy due to to faithful young men living this countercultural life, it matters. 
what you watch, what you say, what you think about, what you do with your time, what you do with your money, what you do with the God, with the gifts that God has given you, it affects others. Brothers, look at me for a second. Your life and your spiritual health and your leadership matters. I know this world has a ton of crazy stuff to say about manhood. It's ridiculous. And I know you get a lot of stuff thrown at you. But I want you to hear that you matter. And your walk with the Lord matters. And your leadership matters. And if you agree with me, say amen, men. It matters. Therefore, brothers, you need each other. Younger men, you need the older men in your life. It's been said that, that every guy needs a Paul and a Titus, and I think that's true. Every young guy needs that, that older guy like Paul. And every older guy, he needs that younger guy like Titus. So, so can, I, can I just give you some advice on how to take the first step in this? I just want to take a minute, just give some advice, step one, just to give some direction to this. Let, let me speak to the older guys first. Older men, pray about a young man or maybe two in this church to invest into. Just pray about it. Just pray, God, who do you want me to invest in in this church? And then simply approach them on a Sunday or maybe in your small group and say something like this. Say, hey, I really see great things in you, and I just, I'd love to get to know you better. Can I, can I buy you lunch or coffee sometime? And then if he says, yeah, man, I would love that, when you get together, do this. Say, hey, how can I pray for you? And when you, when you ask him that question, the, the things that start coming out, really hear him, really listen to him. Because the things that start coming out there, that's where he needs mentorship. That's where he needs discipleship. That's where he needs you in his life. So, so maybe that young guy, he needs wisdom as a husband. Okay, well then take him to Ephesians 5 and talk about what it means to sacrificially love his wife. And then reach out to maybe some of the pastors or, or elders at the church and say, hey, do you have any book recommendations on marriage? And then, and this is important, share your struggles as a husband with him. Don't, don't set this unattainable, like, like uh, perfect standard. Don't, don't give him this false view of yourself. Like be authentic with him and share your struggles, but do this also Share your successes in marriage with him too. But, but maybe when you ask him, how can I pray for, for you? Maybe he starts talking about fatherhood. Maybe he needs wisdom as a father. Well, if that's the case, take him to Deuteronomy 6, 4-9. Talk to him about raising his children in the Lord. And then maybe reach out to some of the pastors and elders and say, hey, is, is there a good book on, on fatherhood and parenting that you think would be good? And, and then again, do this. Share your struggles as a father. Every father in this room is imperfect. Share your struggles as a father with him. But, but then also share some things that you have found successful in your home. Maybe they need wisdom in their career. And if that's the case, take him to Proverbs 24, 33. Talk to him about what it means to work hard. But, but then take him to uh, Ephesians 1, 5 and talk to him about finding his identity in Christ and not his work. And then, and then reach out to some other brothers and say, hey, do you have a good resource on, on helping a young guy think about his work life? But then do this, share how you've struggled in your career, but also share how you found success at work. But, but maybe what comes out is, is concerns about his spiritual life. And if that's the case, teach him Romans 8 and how to walk with the Lord. Teach him Matthew 5 and 6, the Sermon on the Mount. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? Teach him how to pray. 
Take him to Ephesians 2 and, and talk about how to, how to find your ministry. God's created you for good works. Help him find that. Reach out to other leaders on book recommendations on the spiritual life. And, and then, again, share your struggles with him, but also share the wins. But maybe what comes out is, is they need wisdom theologically. Maybe they don't really know what they believe. Well, then take them back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Talk about creation and what that says about God. Talk about the fall and how sin has affected us. Then teach them Romans 3. Talk about Jesus' justification and how Jesus has made all things right. Take him to the end to Revelation 21 and talk about the new heavens and the new earth and this glorious future that we have with them. Take him to 2 Timothy 4 about, about what the Bible is and the role that the Bible is supposed to play in our lives. Take him to Ephesians 2 and that beautiful gospel of grace that just shapes everything in our lives, then reach out to others about some recommendation and maybe some theological text that he could actually read. But show him how you've struggled to develop a theology. But show him what it, what it really looks like to, to know what you believe and, and live consistently accordingly. Man, that's what, that's what it means to take the, the first step towards a young man. But, but young guys, similarly, keep an eye out for those guys that you really respect. Um, when I was first starting out in ministry, there was a, a pastor that I, I really respected, and I, and I just kind of, kind of went to him just for some advice. And, and my question was, hey, how do you approach older pastors? Like, I had a, had a guy or two that I just kind of respected, and I just wanted to get to know him better. And, and he said something that was really helpful for me. He said, listen, if a guy is someone that, that you want to follow, a guy that you want to learn from, he, he's successful in some way, he, he's a, a type A pastor, that means he's going to be busy, okay? Now, what that means is, and I, I was a college student, so I thought everybody just kind of hung out for hours at the coffee shop, okay? And so I needed an older brother to teach me this. He said, listen, that guy that you want to pursue, he's busy. So he's not going to be able to hang out at the coffee shop for four hours with you. But, but, but hear me. If it's somebody that you want to follow, he cares about the next generation. He cares about you, and he does want time with you, but, but he wants it to be intentional. So he said, when, when you want to approach somebody, don't expect that you're just going to you know, spend all day with him. Come with a question, something that you're wrestling with, something that's important to you. Come to them and say, hey, how do you do this? I'm wrestling with this. I'd love your advice on this. When we coach church planters, that's what I tell them. I say, listen, all these pastors, these guys are busy. But, but they care about you, but they want to be intentional with their time. So when you're wrestling with something, go to them with a question. Because it communicates, listen, I care about your opinion. I really want to hear. From, I'm teachable. I want to, I want to hear from you. And, and that's been really, really helpful for me. Listen, young guys, take, something, take that similar approach to the men in our church. Young men, if you see a man in the church that you respect, reach out to him. Re- reach out to him and, and say something like this. Say, hey, I really respect some of the things that you said about fatherhood in our small group. And, man, I've got, I've got a preschool kid, and I would just love your advice on how to be a good dad to my family over these coming years. Could I buy you lunch? Could I buy you coffee and just pick your brain? Young guys, if that guy is the type of guy that you want to follow, he will make time for you. He will make time for you. If he blows you off, it's probably not the guy that you want to follow, Okay. But if you say something like that to a guy and, and he jumps on that, he will make time for you because he cares about you and he cares about the next generation. Brothers, you need each other. Turn from an attitude of being here primarily for yourself 
and find ways to minister to the men of this church. These young guys matter. And and old guys, the things that you have walked through, it matters. And and it helps the next generation. Brothers, I I pray that you're seeing that, that even though God has redeemed you individually, he has. But he has redeemed you to a people. Like, when I think about heaven, it's alone in Montana. That, that's not what the Bible teaches, okay? You, you know, in, in, in Revelation 5, when, when, it, when it just kind of pulls back the veil a little bit, and we just, we just get to peer in to see what heaven is like. Do you remember that? Revelation 5, 9 says, and they. There's just one guy out there, they. Just a multitude of people, they. They sang a new song. Saying, here's, here's what they sang. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, not an individual, you ransomed people for God. People from every tribe and language and people and nations. Friends, you were redeemed to a heavenly people. That means you reject individualism and consumerism. That means you understand that you have been born again to a people, to a church. Come join us. Come join us theoretically, but more importantly, come join us practically, functionally. Come join us in reality. Like build relationships here. Live in community here. God's designed this to help you look more like Jesus. God has designed this with real people, with real names, to love you and to minister to you. Old guys, God has designed this for you to get to be part of these young guys' lives and families. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news that Jesus redeems us to a people? Isn't it good news that God has designed a local church in order to fuel your discipleship? Like, think about it. God never leaves us alone. Amen? He's ransomed us to a people. Like, he's always with you. And that includes giving you a local church that really is here for you. Like a local church with real people, with real names, with real gifts, with real flaws, they are here for you. They love you. That's how much God loves you, is that he has manifested this promise to always be with you and never leave you by giving you the church. Do you see that? We disconnect his presence from the church, and we miss the blessing of this place. If God is always with you, You know what that means? It means he's always there to help you. His presence is there to help you. His presence brings you new life. One of the key ways that he helps you is by designing a local church to help sanctify you and grow you. Brothers, the brothers are here to help you. Brothers, what if we all lived this way? Like, like what if we were a church that we all lived this way? Like, what if the empty nesters decided to really invest in the next generation of men? And what if all the the young dads and the young college students were were willing to to learn from the men who had gone ahead of them? 
this weekend I was talking to a, a couple of guys in our church, and I said, you know, I'm preaching on this tomorrow, and I've thought of you two this week. You guys do this so well. And, and we just we talked about what it looks like to invest in those guys. And, you know, one thing that they were quick to say is they said, man, it's hard. <laughs> the conversation went real sober real quick. They said it was hard, and, and both of those guys were, were walking with some guys just through some real struggles, but, but they didn't stay there. And that conversation then went to, man, it's so good. It's so joyous. It's, it's where life is found. Like, like, what if we all lived this way? Like, like, if we did, I think the gray hairs would discover renewed purpose and joy. Like, like, like I think they would begin to see how all that they had been through really mattered. Like, I think that their hearts would just be reignited to get to know these young families and love on them and invest in them. Like, I think the young guys, they would find renewed hope for the future. I think that they would find wisdom on how to grow in all areas of their lives. I think that they would find encouragement from men that they genuinely respect. That's what I think would happen if we really did this. And I think a bunch of men, like Revelation 5-9, I think they would begin joyously singing a new song. I think it would just fill their souls. I think a bunch of men would experience uh, just a little slice of heaven. That's where we're headed. Brothers, God has redeemed you to a people. Be here for them and not just yourself. And the good news is that Titus 2, 1 to 8, it teaches us how to do it. It's how to get that, just that taste of eternity. Let me pray for us. Father God, I, I just thank you for the, for the men of our church. We have some wonderful older men and younger men in this church. We have some great shepherds in this church, some, some guys who really care. Father, may we be a church that really invests in real people. Father God, I, I just uh, lift up the, the men in our church to you right now. I just, I just pray your blessings over them right now. I pray that you would guard them and protect them. In a world that is about self-indulgence, may they be men about self-control and self-denial and self-sacrifice. And when the world makes fun of them and acts like it doesn't matter, I pray that they would hear from your word that they matter what they do, what they say, what they think about, what they spend their time on and their money on, it matters. Lord, I pray for the relationships of the men in this room. I pray that older men would truly invest in and then shepherd and love the younger men in this church. And I pray that, that the younger men would, would be teachable and would be open to the, the gray hairs in this church to to just speak into their lives and encourage them. I pray that they would do that with confidence, knowing that there are brothers in this church that really love them. God, bless the men of our church. Bless their relationships. Bless their walks with you. Help them to sacrificially love their wives, to shepherd their children, to, to minister to the other men in the church. Do a great thing in the lives of our men. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen.